Well, we are coming to the close of chapter 2, a most significant chapter in the book of Acts. We have seen um, this tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, manifesting Himself with signs, miracles, tongues, languages, the communication of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we come to the end of the chapter, we're going to see the kind of family, the fellowship of the family. If you want to know what a church is supposed to be like, you'll find it in these verses today. In fact, when I was studying this, I felt kind of rebuked because I feel that this should be the norm, what we're going to study. And in many of our churches, it is not the norm. I feel the fault is with us. We live in the day of the Spirit. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He has come and He is with us. And yes, He may manifest Himself in remarkable ways and will do in the future before the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we should all be rejoicing here this morning, right? Not because of any righteousness of our own, but because of the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is one perfect package. And God says yes to Jesus. When God says yes to Jesus and you trust in Jesus, He says yes to you. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open Your Word this morning, we're going to find something, we're going to find a community, Lord, that is truly being led by You. And Lord, I long for so much, I long so much that that will be part of us too. The fellowship, the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Total acceptance of one another. Rich, poor, it really didn't matter. All were one in Christ. Bless us as we share these truths this morning. Be with every person that's gathered here, Lord. Be with our guests. May they find this a safe, comfortable place where they can meet you. Be with our church members, our church family. Be with our children. Everybody that's here today, may we leave rejoicing because we've met you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read some of the texts that are there. I will give you the page reference. The Bibles in the pews. It is on page... Sixteen ninety four one six nine four. Last week we saw that there was this tremendous response to the message of Peter when he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, and three thousand were added to the church in one day. And then it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves, this is the, church, the new church family, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a picture of the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. Father, that they may be one as we are one. This is an answer to Jesus' prayer where he says, well, gather together in that, in that room and, and pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the fruitage. You know, we can be wrong on so many things or right on so many things. At Seventh-day Adventists, we like to pride ourselves on our correct doctrine. That's a really big thing to Seventh-day Adventists. We even, it's so important to us that we, we list the beliefs that we have. At the moment, we have 28 basic beliefs. Now, I know that Seventh-day Adventists believe a whole lot more than 28 things. But these are some of the core things that we feel are important to be emphasized. But do we give the same kind of emphasis, the same kind of importance to loving one another, for caring for one another, for protecting one another? Are we socially as competent as we are doctrinally? Well, here in these texts, it says first that they were a learning church. Don't let anybody tell you that signs, miracles, outpouring of the Holy Spirit is detached from learning. If we detach it from learning, we will end up in, with lots and lots of problems, as I believe we can see in some Pentecostal groups. The apostles' teaching for you and I is essentially the New Testament. Is it important to know what the New Testament teaches? You see, you can all say, well, I believe that Jesus came and lived for me and Jesus came and died for me. But what does that mean? Well, you have the New Testament to explain it to you. And you have Paul approaching it from his angle and Luke will approach it from his angle John from his, and you get all of these different perspectives on the significance of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and what we should be as followers of his. So one of the first things we need to say is this is a learning church family. We should be ever growing. We should never be satisfied with what we have. If you're sitting on the 28th, you're going to fall. You need to be sitting on the whole Word of God, the whole body of truth. Everything is important. In Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, all of it is important because it's all the Word of God. 
And why is it given to us? For instruction, for rebuke, for correction, that the man and the woman of God may be built up to become mature, to become strong. And when the waves of, of evil uh, come against you, in whatever form they come, atheism, skepticism, secularism, just bombarding uh, believers and young people especially, then you're standing strong. Can you be moved from your position in Jesus Christ? Not if you're grounded in the apostles' teaching. To me, I find it absolutely fascinating. I've never been bored um, with, the, with the many, many splendid picture that we get of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are told it's something that we're going to be studying for eternity. So you and I have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years on this earth. We're just scratching the surface of what we know about Jesus Christ. Yes, by scratching that surface, we, we are strengthened, our faith is strengthened. This morning, when, when many of us were studying justification by faith, did you have, when, when you were through, did you have more confidence in God or less? Because here's a doctrine that's specifically been given to God's family to strengthen them in the faith, to give them the assurance and the confidence that God is for them and always will be for them. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We see, we like, we like texts like that, don't we? But do we understand the implications of those teachings? They are to give us confidence and joy. Here we have a community that is filled with joy or reverence. It's all packaged together. It's just great. Anyway, it starts with the apostles' teaching. So study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a great place to begin to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus? You know, we could have young people that can go right through the educational system of Seventh-day Adventists and never meet Jesus. You as parents, what are you doing to teach your children about Jesus? That's where you start, and that's where you finish with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the, begin the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is basically an introduction in many respects to the life of Christ. And then we have the writings of Paul and other people, Peter, uh, to teach us the implications of, for example, what Jesus did for us on the cross. So learning biblical teaching is very, very important um, to the early Christian church and should be very important to the latter-day church on earth. What about fellowship? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And the Greek word means what they had in common. Fellowship is where we break down as Seventh-day Adventists. We're not as strong in this area as we are in the apostles' teaching. Now, if we understand the apostles' teaching correctly, then we should be strong on fellowship. So is that possible that we're studying, studying, and never really understanding? 
never really coming to a knowledge of the truth in the fullest sense of the term. I mean, after all, isn't it the way that we treat one another that is important? You can be so right in your teaching, but if you give the cold shoulder like we studied in Galatians, if you refuse to eat and fellowship with certain people, then the teaching is faulty. And that's what Paul is saying in Galatians. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, correspondence between Galatians and the book of Acts. In Galatians, those of you that were studying that, we saw that there was uh, weakness in the church family, a division in the family between the first class and the second class Christians. And we're amazed, here we're supposed to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, there we have to learn from the apostles' mistakes. Peter was an apostle, took another apostle, Paul, to rebuke him. And it's all about how we treat one another. So justification by faith in Galatians is not complicated in this sense that God fully accepts us while we are sinners, while we are enemies, while we are ungodly, and if God fully accepts us, how dare we not fully accept one another? Well, here we don't see the dispute. Here we don't see the factions. Here we see a community that has been totally bathed in the Holy Spirit of God, and it's a very positive, attractive picture of fellowship together. What do we share together? We share God. God who is Father, God who is Son, God who is Holy Spirit. And what do we share together? What do we give to the world? This is the terminology that's used here, and you may not get this in all of the translations, is one of generosity. So when we talk about fellowship, um, sometimes you can run with the word because the word itself is very suggestive, or you have to find other words that maybe can bring out more of the meaning of that word. That's what I was encouraging my class to do this morning when we talked about justification. Well, let's think of some other words. Because that's not a word that we use very often. Let's think of words like acceptance. Let's think of words like inclusion. We can use the word family. God declares, you're part of my family now. So, with this word fellowship, we can substitute another word as generous. They were generous with one another. Now, he's going to mention generous in the sense of, of helping the poor. But I don't want you to limit it to that. We're not just talking about generous as far as their material possessions. They're generous in their love. They're generous in their time. They're generous because God has been gracious to them. So here we have a gracious, generous church family. Is that attractive or what? See, we have to think, how do churches grow? Well, we could say churches grow when the Holy Spirit is poured out. That would be true. But what kind of community does he want to develop? Does he want to develop a community when they're, where they're biting one another, like in Galatia, 
Is that the kind of community he wants to develop? No. Why should we put one another down if God's not put us down? If God has totally accepted us despite our defects, why should we look down on anybody else? Doesn't the Scriptures teach? Esteem others. What's the rest of the verse? Better than yourselves. So we have a learning church. We have a loving church. And that's a very attractive proposition. But we also have a worshiping church. That's what we're doing this morning. We are collectively, as a church family, worshiping God. And we have lots of different ideas on how we should worship God. Here it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Where did they worship? What does the text say? They worshipped in the temple courts and they worshipped house to house. Now, they wouldn't always be able to worship in the temple courts. The day would come when some very clever Jew found a way of figuring out who were believers in Jesus the Messiah. So after a period of time, they had like a statement that they were all supposed to repeat, cursing Jesus. So it's pretty obvious that a time came when they could no longer worship in the temple, or even in the temple courts. And the house churches would become very, very important. And I don't think it's one or the other, Both have their place. There is value in us worshiping as a group, as a larger group like this, right? And there's value in us gathering in homes where we can be maybe more personal with one another, more intimate with one another. There's a whole different level of fellowship in homes than there is collectively like this. Both are very, very important. What else do we know about their worship? Well, we know that their worship was joyful. Why should our worship be joyful? Because God is not dull. God is exciting. Are any of you interested in astronomy? They're building new telescopes. Telescopes that can record things in different ways. But the more that we learn about this universe of ours, the more awe-inspiring it is. Well, remember, there is God above all of that who created all of that. So should we have joy? Yes, we're joyful because... As we studied this morning, he accepts us as we are. Justification by faith. 
He declares us righteous in His sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have a lot to be joyful about. When the Holy Spirit comes down on a person, joy is evoked from that person. So whatever people know about Anderson Church, they should say, well, I don't know all that stuff that they believe, but boy, are they a happy group of people. Right? And any photos that we have where we look like a really sad cow that has lost its calf, don't publish them. It's kind of like one of those photos where someone takes the, your photo at the church potluck and you've just got your mouth open with a mouthful of food and you've got some spinach kind of stuck on your tooth. And those are the kind of photos that you don't want published. So the images, the memories that we're giving to the community of Anderson are they joyful ones? Are they happy ones? We have a lot to rejoice in. It's all because of Jesus and what He has done through His Holy Spirit. This community understood that. And when they worshipped, they were into it and they were happy. Now, here's a question. Can you have joyful, happy, inspiring worship and have reverence as well? Absolutely. It's not one or the other. They're not incompatible. They're joining hands together. The awe, the respect. God is in our midst. Therefore rejoice, because He's on our side, and He wants the very best for us. So here in verse 46, glad and sincere hearts, and another translation, the New English Bible, unaffected joy. So we have a learning church, we have a loving church, we have a worshiping church, and we also have an evangelistic church. When these people praised in worship, they proclaimed in evangelism. You cannot have a Holy Spirit-filled church that is just concerned about its own issues. Yes, we've seen very clearly, and we'll continue to see all the way through the book of Acts, how they had to join together, bind together in love through study, through worship, and so on and so forth. But they had to get the message out. You have to have church members that are, that are committed to helping other people practically, whether that's helping the poor or whatever it might be, but also is strong in proclamation we do have something to say, right? We're not mealy-mouthed Christians who are clueless about how to communicate Jesus Christ to those around us. So here it says that they were an evangelistic church. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who's doing the saving? The Lord, the Lord. And notice that 
as the church is growing because so many are joining on a daily basis, that he is saving them. We don't, we're not talking about nominal Christianity here. We're not talking of people that are joining for the wrong reasons because they're getting a handout. We're talking of people that are actually being saved. And it's the Lord's work to do that. You and I share, you and I proclaim, you and I praise. There's lots of ways of attracting to pe people to Jesus. But ultimately, he's the one that's in the saving business. And that's the work, of, again, of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is that he can use us, as weak and imperfect as we are. But hey, if we've been saved, then we have something to share with other people. And here it says, the Lord added, he saved us, he added, and that there was daily growth in the church. We should be very concerned in the Seventh-day Adventist church on our lack of growth in certain areas. The white Caucasian side of the church is not growing in North America. The black side of our church is not growing in North America. The Hispanic side of our church is still growing in North America. Should we be praying about that? Should we be concerned about that? Absolutely. The lack of young people that are joining the church, the amount of young people that we lose in the church, all of these are areas of concern. If the church is predominantly elderly, what's going to happen? They're going to get older and older. They're going to die eventually. Who's going to take their place? Where's the replacement? How do you finance a church where you don't have those faithful people who are devoted? We have a whole generation mentality where we have certain Adventists that will pay their tithe no matter what. Come hell or high water, they will pay their tithe faithfully. They will pay their offerings faithfully no matter how much they're struggling. And it's a certain age group in the church, older Seventh-day Adventists, who tend to be that way. Now, we know there's always exceptions to every rule. But by and large, that's true. But as that older generation dies off, and that sense of commitment maybe is going to be hard to be replaced. Well, you and I can't possibly do a whole lot about that, except make sure that we are faithful ourselves, and make sure that that's part of our prayer life. Lord, we want your church to grow. We want the Anderson church to grow. We want them to have to extend the sanctuary, have double services. We want to have a, a social hall where we can, that belongs to our community and that truly is known uh, as the community's uh, social hall where we tried very, very positively to help people. There's lots of things that we can include in our prayer life when it comes to growth. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to lay some of these burdens on your heart and make sure that as you're going about your business that you are finding opportunities. I don't feel the most important thing is to invite people to church. I think you need to have good discernment to know who should be invited and who shouldn't be invited. But all of us are called to introduce people to Jesus. 
And as I said earlier in the announcement time, take opportunities like the picnic, like the cooking school. And thank you for those who, were, who led out with the cookie school. Susie's not here this morning. If she was here this morning, I'd give her a hug. Wouldn't you? She did very well. Thank you. Hey, George, you liked the taste of that food, didn't you? But can you see how these non-threatening ministries of the church family can be tremendous evangelistic opportunities? When these people come in our midst, what do they find? Are we arguing amongst ourselves? Is there bickering? Is there fighting? Or is there manifested this love that we see manifested here in Acts chapter 2? Well, we need to wrap up. They're worshiping with glad, sincere hearts. They're praising God and they're enjoying the favor of all of the people. Hey, maybe that wouldn't last for too long. Those religious rulers are going to be persecuting them. But enjoy it while it's there. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh, let me tell you, every pastor would love a church like that. Every pastor would love that. And by the way, we're not talking of a perfect church. As we work our way through the book of Acts, we will see some of the strengths and the weaknesses. I mean, these are fallible human beings like you and I who we're talking about now. But here in Acts 2, we have a really clear picture of the church kind of firing on all cylinders. And it's a very, very attractive thing. And here's, here's maybe a parting thought. I think it's very true in this day and age in which we live here in North America. Some people can be won by the Lord by the way we fellowship rather than be won to the Lord through a thus said the Lord. Sometimes people are just craving for fellowship because they're lonely. And we can use that to advantage, to the Lord's advantage, to draw them, be friendly and kind to people, draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then hope and pray somewhere along the line, the penny drops, the scent drops, and they fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people come in through the front door of evangelism. Some people come in the back door. It really doesn't matter which door we come in, does it? as long as we walk through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for this uh, wonderful work of the Godhead in creating this church family as we read about it in the book of Acts. And here we are, Lord, in Anderson, frail, weak, needing strong leadership, maybe firing on one or two cylinders and not all cylinders, but Lord, we give ourselves to you we surrender our will to you. We ask you, Lord, that you will continue to mold and shape us. And as you send um, those daily who, who need, are needing to be saved, may we embrace them, Lord, just as we see the Father embracing the prodigal. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.